Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Brett Menard. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on Station KALA. Our guest for this 355th show is author and journalist Anu Partinen, and we're going to be talking about her book, The Nordic Theory of Everything. Our history buffs are Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet, and Rick, as the other world traveler in the group, <laughs> you get the first question this <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, I just got a new passport. Too <laughs> right. Too many stamps. Right. Anu, uh, in the uh, in the book, you you present many elements of of uh, what uh, I say constitutes the Nordic theory of everything. What one element in your mind uh, uh, that uh, is part of this theory uh, do you see lacking in uh, the United States and American culture that uh, pre- uh, that uh, pre- presents us with our greatest risk hmm that's a really good question they pay me for good questions <laughs> <laughs> let me think of that um well i think the one thing is that the really wonderful thing about the United is um that americans are very quick to think about solutions that they can sell themselves can offer or execute and it's about personal responsibility and and everybody has the responsibility to take care of themselves and and to you know be a responsible person and work hard and i think that's all wonderful and i think that can blind americans to um the reality that it's not always hard work that will solve everything and it's not always up to the individual and we all have such different backgrounds that you really need to uh, level the playing field. And I think leveling the playing field by offering some form of universal social services to everyone, it really supports the American values of personal responsibility and hard work and working for your community because people will have the skills and the potential and the, the ability to support themselves and to get the education they need and to work hard and, and have the... the energy and time also to be with their communities and do other things. So I feel like sometimes uh, as individuals and perhaps as societies, the best thing about us can also be our biggest problem. And so I think that's one thing in the United States that I think people, uh, it would be good for people to turn that really fantastic quality of thinking about personal responsibility around in the sense that we really have to enable people to take that personal responsibility. And then once you provide the same uh, services and uh, the level of playing field for everyone, then of course you can expect individuals to behave accordingly and pull their weight. Right. Terry. Yes, Anu, one of the things I really took away from your book was your country's focus on children and that if there's going to be a change in society, we need to first look at the very youngest not even starting after birth, but before birth, with prenatal care and so on. And I think for many of our young Americans, that's some of the things that really stresses people out is child care. Um, And then the educational system, navigating it, especially if your child has special needs. Uh, My grandson is autistic. And when my daughter first started uh, navigating the educational system for a very bright but autistic child, it was 
full of anxiety because the services were not there. And then the services would be provided, but you had to demand them. You had to fight for them. And we have are very fortunate in our part of the country where we have an amazing autistic center here, state of the art. But to get them to be even to come into um, our district for them to talk and talk about the services that they could provide, that took two years. And so there are a lot of things where I find that um, when you talked about the sense of belonging, I think that's truly the case um, that's lacking sometimes here. Sometimes people don't feel like they really do belong if they're not perfect or if they create waves because they have special needs. So I would like to ask you to talk more about that on how the Finnish government decided to, when they revamped their society, they began to focus on the very young. Yeah, I think um, in the history of the Nordic countries, this is not just Finland. I think it more perhaps even started in Sweden more. But I think there was a strong movement for children's rights. And I think that's also sort of a fundamental difference in thinking or philosophy between the United States and the Nordic countries. In the Nordic countries, there's a strong idea, idea that that um, children have rights regardless of what their parents want or can provide for them. And of course, in the United States, thinking is often that, well, the parents have the right to decide, you know, what kind of school the child goes to or make the decisions about that child and government should not meddle in how we raise our children or what we offer for them. And I think, of course, we don't want the government to meddle into anybody's private life. But when it comes to children in the Nordic countries, there's been strong thinking that, okay, we have to protect children if their parents are not up to their task. So, for example, when it comes to um, um, corporal punishment or, or hitting your children or hurting them physically, the raising a child method or whatnot, the Nordic countries were um, the first in the world to, to outlaw it. So there was this idea that parents do not have the right to, to do everything um, for the children, uh, at their children, I guess. But at the same time, um, that has sort of evolved into this more positive, I guess, idea that the government also we should as a society to provide for all children, regardless of whether their parents have the connections or the money or the understanding to help their children in some situation. And so if you think of a, of a prenatal care system or the, the kind of systems that Nordic countries have set up for babies and children, part of the idea is that, well, you have this free prenatal services and you have free family services, doctors, nurses, and so on, and you go to the, the to through the system all through the early childhood years. And partly the reason is also to monitor the children and see how they're developing so that it's not just that only when they show up in school, you discover that, oh, they might have some special needs, and by then we've already lost several years during which we could help them. So there's this idea that it's just best for everyone, but especially for the child, <laughs> that we have this system where they get the help they need always and the families are supported and parents are supported and parents are educated and we can start helping the children early on already before they start school. And then when it comes to often, of course, parents who really are super invested in their children and really want to help them and have children with special needs, I don't want to paint too rosy a picture. I know that in the Nordic countries too, it can be hard to navigate the system and find the right care for your child. But I do certainly think that it can be less stressful than, than in the United States because it's not all up to the parents. Well, 
I mean, this kind of thinking that, that children's well-being is not only the parent's responsibility, it's the whole society's responsibility. It's also a gift to parents because then you can feel, that, well, these people are here to help me and it's not only my job to battle the system and find the right, right channel and I'm not my child's only hope or the only guardian or only proponent. So I think in that sense, it, it can definitely be easier. For example, if you have a child with special needs in a Nordic country, because you can access help easier. Uh, and when I read your book, I was struck by one thing Americans are always talking about is freedom and all of these additional freedoms that these social supports offer. Uh, there's a quote in your book about a an elderly parent being glad that their estate provided uh, medical care because then my kids come see me because they want to see me, not because... If they don't come see me, I'm going to die or I won't be able to take care of myself. Or, or you have the freedom to search out a new job because your health care isn't tied to it. Or you don't have $100,000 worth of student loans hanging over your head forcing you to do one job in particular. Can you talk a bit about some of the opportunities that people gain because of these social services? Yeah, for sure. So I think this is also really interesting to me because I think people in the Nordic countries and Americans start from the same place, or maybe most people in the world start from the same place. Nobody likes charity. Nobody likes to be dependent or beholden to other people. Everybody, of course, would want to be feel like they stand on their own two feet and, and they, they are their own man or woman, if you will. And so in the Nordic countries, the society has decided that, okay, we have to help people to be able to be in this position of equality with, in regards to other people, even within families, for example. So that we don't have, for example, one person in the family who works and brings in all the money and then kind of holds the purse strings. I mean, that's, that's perfectly fine if the family is healthy and respectful and everything's well, but we well know that the families have all kinds of tensions and, and if you are the person who are dependent on another person's income and so on, you still feel like you're beholden to them, even if the setup is loving and, and respectful and, and all that. So in the Nordic countries, there's basic idea that, that true love and real friendship and real honesty is only possible if you are not dependent on the other person for the for most uh, important services in your life. And healthcare is another example. For example, for me, it was really odd and anxiety in inducing to think when I came to America that that my now now husband at the time a partner American that I would get my health insurance through him and he employer and I felt like okay so am I supposed to be grateful to him that he gives me my health care like what does it have to do with him and why does it why is it part of our relationship this health care question for me since I was used to it, that everybody has it and it, it doesn't matter if I'm married to someone it doesn't matter where I work because it's not related to your work and it gives you this sense of freedom and independence that you can for example if you want to leave a marriage you can leave a marriage and you're not going to lose your health care and you don't have to think about this and I think for Americans often this kind of talk sounds cold or brutal and of course if you have a family unit of course everybody pulls resources and supports one another and all that but I've had many people come and talk to me after the book and while I was interviewing the book were in really difficult situations in their relationships, partly just because of health care or health insurance, they would want to leave. The relationship's not working or it's abusive and you can't leave because one of you is 
sick and it depends on the other person's health insurance. So these are real situations that people um, end up in. And then on the other hand, when it comes to employers and health insurance, that was sort of really surprising to me too because it seems almost weirdly socialist. Like, why are employers in charge of offering this social service to their employees? <laughs> and Aren't companies supposed to just focus on their business? And the governments are supposed to offer citizens these basic services. And when you think of America as the land of the entrepreneur, which of course it is in many ways, but for many people, if their family relies on that health insurance that comes through one person's uh, employer, even if you would want to leave and become an entrepreneur and you have a good idea, you can't because it's too much of a risk to your family. So in that sense too, if you have these universal social services, it can support people's ability to make choices without thinking that they're risking their whole family's health care or daycare or ability to go to college. Anu, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on one aspect. You are talking to a panel, 75% of which were teachers for all of their career, and even Rick was a teacher for several years at the collegiate level. Um, so education is obviously a big deal for us, and uh, we are functioning in, in an American system at the moment, at which, which is becoming more and more restrictive in terms of what teachers can do and less and less respectful of teachers as professions. And when reading your book, um, I found myself constantly wanting to call the Finnish embassy and uh, apply for a visa and go over and teach in your system because you don't seem to have any of those issues uh, and you also have super high quality. So can you please talk a little bit about the Finnish educational system and, and how it works? Hmm. So I think Finland used to have a little bit more of a system like the United States where you had different types of schools. You had public schools and you had private schools and whether you could advanced to college or whatnot was somewhat dependent on whether your parents could pay or how well, or if you were able to go to a good private school prior to college and so on. And around 1970s, Finland started reforming its, its education system. The basic principle was that all students are going to go to high-quality public schools. Finland doesn't have any private schools. There's a few. There's some English language schools and so on, but they also can't charge tuition or maximum tuition that government controls is like $500 or something. So overall, everybody in Finland goes to a public school. Uh, there was a lot of debate about this at the time, and there were a lot of people, conservatives especially, who were really con concerned that now we're going to waste our talent. We're not going to focus on people who are prideist. We're going to make everybody go to this you know, mediocre school. And that this is not effective because we have a lot of people who are not able to learn and we should waste our resources to this. And this was the kind of conversation Finland had. But the decision was made that, okay, we, we are going to assume that all our students can learn at the highest level and we will provide this to them. And partly this was because Finland's a small country and Finland doesn't really have a lot of natural resources apart from trees, basically, <laughs> forests and water lakes. So the, the feeling was that, well, we have to invest in our people. That's all we have. And so this was the basic step. Then the second step was, okay, if we want to have equal schools that are just as good everywhere in the country, A, we have to have equally well-educated teachers. So Finland created a system where all teachers basically have to have a master's degree in education. And I should remind you that, that college tuition in Finland, it doesn't exist. It, it's taxpayer-funded service, so you can 
study up to a master's level degree as a te- to become a teacher, even if teacher salaries are not super high. So, so that obstacle that America might have is not there. But it also just then, the, the education is standardized. So, so it ensures that every teacher in every Finnish school has gone through the same high-quality training system and has a master's degree in education. And from that follows that you don't have to really control teachers. There are no standardized tests in Finland. Because once you've trained the teachers really well, you can sort of say that, okay, well, now they know what they're doing. And then they can design their own curriculum and you can trust them to do the teaching. So then that gives the teachers much more freedom in their schools. And in the end, it gives the teachers also more respect because of course parents can feel like, okay, well, they are experts in what they do and they are well trained and, and I can trust them to you know, give the best possible education for my children. So I think in the United States, of course, you know, this is better than I do, but there's, there's several problems with making the education system equal. And funding, of course, is one to add. In Finland, um, the school funding is partly localized, but by localized, I mean municipal taxes and so on. But the government, the, the national government then equalizes the funding across the board. So it's not at all funded through property taxes, But instead, all schools have the same resources. And if a school is struggling, if if in that neighborhood or area, um, there's a lot more recent immigrants or unemployment or other reasons why you might expect the students struggle more, then you direct more funds to that school, not less. So in a sense, it's the opposite of what often happens in the United States. We would like to thank our guests for this 355th show, the author and journalist Anu Partinen, who talked to us about the Nordic theory of everything. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD 2, 88.5 FM, and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio in the search box to find ROI. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.